we are on a verge of a transformation that is going to be bigger than the cloud transformation that Amazon has introduced 10 years ago. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Armand Schrocki. Each week, Armand will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. I'm pleased to have Devir Shapiro with us from Venn. Can you tell us a little bit of yourself, Devir? Thanks, Arman, for having me. Yeah, I'm 45. I live in San Jose, California. Just moved here about seven years ago from Israel. Married, three kids, have been leading product management teams for quite a while now. Different companies, very different sizes, you know, from early stage startups to Cisco. <laughs> For the most part, in the last 10 years or so, I've been leading product management for SaaS products and mostly in the information security space. I've been doing that at a small startup called Encapsula. Then we got acquired by a larger company called Imperva. And I was leading product management there and then moved to Cisco. And I'm in a new startup called Venn, where we are doing another SaaS product for remote work. Tell us a little bit about the company, Venn, and what you guys do over there and what kind of problems you're addressing and what kind of customers you know, you're serving. Yeah, so it's actually very exciting. I just joined a couple of months ago because I was very excited about what the guys were building there. Now that almost everyone is either working remotely or hybrid, the world has changed. I used to work remotely, you know, once or twice a week, even before COVID. But now I'm working remotely 100% of the time. And a lot of people who used to go to the office every day are now working remotely. Remote work is creating new opportunities, but also new challenges. And I think all of us as remote workers, it resonates with us the notion that, you know, working from home, life and work becomes a little bit blurred, right? The lines, the strict lines between life and work are becoming a little bit blurred. And it has impact both on your company and on yourself, you know, people are now using their work computers for both work, but also stuff that's life related, right? They log into their bank and do something, you know, change something in their account, or they pull up an Excel spreadsheet and calculate their home expenses or something like that on their work computer. And these things 
create some kind of a security exposure for your company. But also, usually companies would block some of the you know, things that you can do on your work computer, which is limiting for the employee. And it's kind of annoying to try to log into a website and get blocked by your company's security policy. So, you know, we are hearing more and more about the lines being blurred and the impact on both employees and companies. We came up with a product that completely separates life and work on the same computer. Work lives in a secure enclave that's completely protected and protects all the data and applications while life goes on outside this enclave on the same computer and is completely private and you can do whatever you want there. You don't have companies, security policies don't have to apply there. So you can use your the same computer for life and work securely and privately. I've been talking about this product with a lot of potential end users, people like us who are you know, working from home and they were very excited about having this kind of separation on their computers. And on the employer side, there's a lot of excitement about having work secure and contained and life not impacting in any way. So this is sort of where we're going with this. And we're seeing a lot of excitement. We're obviously seeing a big opportunity across different industries, almost across all industries and all geographies. So it's starting small, but we have a big vision for this. That's great. That's definitely a real problem that I can understand. Any software company resonate to that, of course, because as you said, based on the security policies that you have, you want to separate these two work from life. But at the same time, it's not super convenient to say, hey, I need two laptops. So sometimes I do this on this laptop. And so in action for convenience, you normally want to use the same laptop for some of the other stuff you have. So definitely that's something that you would like to do. And their software seems to exactly tackle that problem. So you have been product manager, as you mentioned, in different companies, different stages. You have gone through different sides of the companies organically or based on acquisition from time to time. What's your take on how much of your time should be spent outside with customers versus how much of your time should be really spent internally just to make sure the product you know, is working and managing the product? And then the follow-up question on that on my side would be what kind of questions do you normally ask the client to validate that you are on the right track? Yeah, these are really good questions. I'm going to break them down into kind of two parts. One is how do I know that I solve, I'm solving the right problem? And, you know, from my experience, both at startups, but also at big companies, most projects fail because they're not solving the right problem. I listened to some of your other podcasts and I know that this comes up pretty often. And rightfully so, I think this is a major topic and everyone is solving a problem. I have a lot of friends who started companies with the idea of a problem that they were solving and they were sure that they were solving the right problem. And eventually they ended up kind of figuring out that it was not the right problem and they didn't have a market for their solution. I kind of came up with my own framework for identifying the right problem. I separate it into four, four different pillars. One is that it needs to be 
And by the way, before you even identify the problem, you need to identify your, your buyer, right? You want to identify a few different personas. One is, is going to be the buyer or the decision maker. There's going to be the user or several users. And there's going to be some influencers to the buying process and to the decision-making process. But once you've identified the buyer, you want to make sure that one, this is top of mind for, for the buyer. And when I say top of mind, this person needs to go to sleep with this problem, have lunch with this problem, take a shower with this problem. It needs to be on their mind constantly. Secondly, it needs to be urgent. I've seen a lot of problems that are just not urgent enough. And then they just get pushed back over and over again. And other more urgent problems take precedence. So you want to make sure it's top of mind, urgent. And then there's two more pillars that are kind of tied at the hip, which is I want to know that this person is going to be willing to spend a lot of money to solve this problem. Otherwise, to be honest, I don't care. I've seen a lot of problems that people suffer from, but they're not willing to spend a lot of money to solve. And to be honest, as a product manager, I don't care about these problems. I want to make sure that I can sell the solution that, especially in the B2B space. Lastly is the person who's willing to pay to solve this problem. I want to see that they have the budget to pay for this problem. Throughout my career, I've seen a lot of cases where we're talking for months with someone who doesn't have the budget. He's suffering from a problem. He's willing to spend money. But his boss or his boss's boss, who's, who holds the budget, does not consider this to be, you know, important enough problem and is willing to spend the money. So you want to make sure that all four of these are there. And in order to make sure that all four of these are there, you need to have... So I usually, when I work with my PM teams, I want to start out talking to buyers as product managers, we have the tendency to go out and talk to users. And users are important because they help you shape the product, the features, the functionality. But I want to start talking to buyers first, potential buyers, because I want to understand that someone's going to buy this product before I start shaping. So, you know, there's a journey that you take as a product manager. You start talking to buyers. You make sure that the buyers are aware of this problem. It's important enough to them. It's urgent enough to them. It propagated all the way up from their teams to them and now takes enough mind share for the decision maker for them to be willing to spend money and spend time and invest their team's time in evaluating the, the product, etc. And only then, when I'm sure that we have a real problem that we can start selling a product into, then I start talking to the users and try to identify the exact features and functionality that we need to shape the product according to. So this is sort of how I approach this with my product teams. And then to your other question, which was around how much time we spend internally and externally. So we start spending a lot of time externally with these buyers. Then we spend a lot of time externally with these potential users to kind of shape up the product and understand what their day-to-day -day looks like, what their jobs to be done look like. And then, then we can shape the product with engineering, shape the messaging with marketing, shape the support and customer success strategy with the relevant teams. And the product manager sits 
at the center of all of this, but I definitely want them to be spending a lot of time externally with customers and bring this view into the company. When you really go and talk to customers, what is the major, what is the number one question comes to your mind that validates? Because the same topic, you can ask it in many different ways. And sometimes if you don't ask it the right way, you're not going to get the answer you want. You know, for example, you may go to someone and say, what do you think about this idea? And they would say, yeah, this is a great idea, but that's not what you want. You can ask the question like, what do you think the possible flaw might be with this idea? And then they think about the possible flaw and that's what you really wanted to know. In your mind, when you go to, let's say, I'm a potential customer or I'm a customer and you want me to ask a question, what kind of question comes to your mind that this is the right question I always need to ask? Yeah, no, this, this is really important because I've seen a lot of product managers pitch a product to a potential customer and they get the nod. It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And they see that as the customer validating their their idea or their technology or their product. And it really isn't. People are being polite or it might be a nice to have, but it's not enough for someone to actually be spending time and money on your product. What I want to see is, first of all, you know, I try to interview people and not bias them. So I ask them open-ended questions a little bit about their problems, their top-of-mind problems. And, you know, I try to focus them maybe on a certain space, but I want to make sure that they kind of share their view of their problems with me and not me kind of forcing something on them. Secondly, when you actually get to the point where you show your product or pitch your idea, there's a big difference between the nod and excitement. And I've been a product manager and a product leader for many years now, and I can count on one hand the number of times that I've seen real excitement from customers, one of which being the company that I'm at right now, which is why I was excited to move to this company because people are really excited, both users and and potential buyers are really excited you can see the cogwheels turning in their mind, thinking about how they would implement this product in their own lives, in their own companies, what kind of use cases they would be able to address with this product. And then they start asking you follow-up questions. And this is really interesting. And I think this is where you see, you pitch the product and people start thinking and asking you about you know, different types of implementations that you wouldn't even consider for your product, that shows that this is resonating with them and they see opportunities to implement your product in their companies. So to your question, it's a combination of both not biasing the customers, asking them questions, open-ended questions, seeing that what they say kind of aligns with what you were expecting or not. And you got to be very open to changing course, right? Because we tend to fall in love with stuff that we do or with our ideas and not change course. And I, I can give you an example from just recent weeks. We were thinking that we wanted to focus on a certain market segment as this kind of a, our first step into the market. 
because we've seen some interest from this specific market segment. And then, you know, we tried out some collateral and some messaging with this market segment. We didn't get a lot of response. That said, we got a lot of response from other market segments. So we were frank enough and honest enough with ourselves to say, okay, this is probably not the right assumption. We need to change our assumptions based on the data that is coming in and readjust our messaging and, and market focus. So I think also with customers, you've got to be very open to getting the feedback, not from one customer, you've got to collect you know, more data points. People also tend to make changes based on the reactions of one customer or two customers. That's also risky. You've got to collect and find kind of the commonalities across 10, 15 different customers, see that you have a trend there, and then be honest enough with yourself to make changes to your focus. And let's say you have figured out what the problem is. It's not the whole story because now you need to have the right solution as well. Right. And if you have the problem, would you count also on customers to provide you the solutions? How would you go with finding the solution because you need to spend a lot of time, resources, and normally it's not going to be quick? to really get the solution you want to be able to in action actually test drive it. What is the best advice you have for other product managers that you know, use these tips and tricks in order to really get to the solution that works best? That's always a challenge. It's kind of a partnership between product and engineering, but I'm a product guy. I am a very kind of outside in look kind of person. So I always try to take the customer perspective and not our internal perspective. We have the tendency to just take the products that we have, the technologies that we have, and try to come up with something out of these products, technologies, rather than looking at what the customer is looking for and what the customer is expecting or experiencing. And I can give you an example. You know, in one of my previous companies at Incapsula, we had a a meeting with the CIO of a company and regarding a DDoS solution. And he was already using an alternative solution. And we sat down for the meeting and he said, yeah, I'm happy with my, with my existing solution. My CEO was like, okay, that was a short meeting. I'm happy to hear that you're happy with your existing solution. And we kind of stood up and the CIO said, yeah, I'm 90% happy with my existing solution, but there's like 10% that I'm not happy with. And then we started drilling into this 10% and it was a Pandora box of lots and lots of different issues that they had, but they were assuming that all products in this category are using the same kind of technology and would have the same issues. So they were not even thinking about, you know, could there be a product that doesn't suffer from these same issues? And I think customers, a lot of times, they make assumptions about, you know, your technology or, you know, what kind of technologies are out there. And based on these assumptions, they make, you know, they come up with requests or requirements, etc. And the first thing that I teach my product managers is to get to the heart of the problem and then go back towards the solution just peeling off the, the onion because customers will always tell you what they want and not what they need. And in many cases, they don't even understand their problem fully. 
So, you know, you help them fully understand their problem. It even applies to us, you know, in our day-to-day. Sometimes we say we need this product, we need this solution. We don't really think about the problem that it's solving. Customers are exactly the same. So sometimes you start asking the, you know, the five whys or other frameworks that help you peel off the layers and get to the heart of the problem. And once you realize that together with the customer, you go back and understand why their existing solutions don't solve this problem well. Maybe the technology is not the right technology. Maybe the implementation is not the right implementation. Maybe just the user interface is not right. Just collecting this level of information about what the heart of the problem is and why existing solutions are not good enough to solve it, then you can go back to your engineering team, sit down together and brainstorm and see if we can come up with technology that can solve these problems for them. It seems like in most cases you have seen this is the problem. And sometimes you're right, you look at the problem and the solution seems to be not super obvious, but it seems to be there. When you know exactly the problem is, then you can find the solution. Have you been in a situation that you know the problem, but there are so many different solutions that you don't know which one works best? It's a real problem. I find that peeling this onion and getting to the heart of the problem really helps. In some cases, customers came to us and said, you know, I need this kind of reporting or dashboard. And you start asking why and and digging in and, and you find out that there's one department that is doing something and another department in the same organization that's doing another thing and they wanna prevent the other department from seeing something. So digging to the heart of the problem, you might come up with some insight on maybe there's a completely different solution that works there. By the way, in many cases, when you talk to customers, you can actually hear the words of one of your competitors that was kind of advising them on what kind of solution they need. And you want to avoid that because maybe the solution that they're asking plays exactly into the hands of your competition. But maybe you can come up with a better solution for them that works with your technology. There's a lot of nuances here around talking to customers and understanding what they need and not what they're asking for, which might be two different things. Yeah. Some of the takeaways from what you explained, number one, the problem is to be serious. Number two, there has to be a real buyer with money. And if you are solving the problem for someone who may not control the budget, that product may not actually be able to grow because may not get the resources that you need in order to spend in order to solve that problem. Also, knowing the problem in, at the very, very deep level can help you to find the right solution. The more you know about the problem, the higher chance you have to actually find the solution. And when you have too many options to solve the problem, maybe it's because still you have not spent enough time to really dive deep and understand the problem. Otherwise, probably you would have more clear ideas about what the solution might be. I tend to say that product managers live in a world of problems. The solutions, it's easy to say, but once you really understand the problem and you're intimate with the problem and you kind of step in your customer's shoes and, and feel it, it's much easier to come up with the right solution for that and a differentiated one that's, that really solves the problem 
as opposed to, you know, half-baked solutions that just answer what the customer is asking for, but are not solving the actual problem. And now we live in a world that I'm talking about B2B, and I think most of your experience also resonate with that, that you have been in B2B world. But when we are thinking about B2B, and then we are talking about SaaS in particular, that's a relatively speaking, not super new, but it's a new phenomenon, right? So companies can actually offer that as a service, the solution, and then you have all of these customers using that service. Does it help in a way for product managers? Does it help them to better understand if customers, users, you know, are using it in the right way, analyze that kind of behavior, maybe better understand that what this real solution can be or a better solution can be and fine-tune it. Yeah, I had the opportunity when I was at Imperva, I was leading both the SaaS solution that I developed at Encapsula, but also the on-prem solution that Imperva had long before. The difference in visibility and the exposure to data between the two products was unbelievable. When you work on SaaS products, you get so used to having data to work with. You can look at stuff like usage, which for non-SaaS products, most of the data that you get is from purchasing. You know, someone purchased this bundle or purchased this product, and this product might be a bundle of lots and lots of different products or or features, and it's very hard for you to know which ones are being used and, and which ones are not. So decision-making, both on, you know, which products we want to be investing in and which products we want to kind of sunset slowly. And also, you know, even packaging and pricing decisions that you want to make are hard when you don't know who's using your products for what purposes, etc. One of the most important things that we've been doing across all of our SaaS products was to implement right from the start, as much, you know, tracking and visibility tools as we could to be able to see who's using, what are they using, how are they using it. We actually decided to drop a few products that we built because the usage was not there. And companies tend to, over the first 10, 15 years, to acquire a lot of features and functionalities and products Many of them are not being being used at all or, you know, are not growing. And it's very hard, this conversation about sunsetting products and end of life, it's very hard. But when you have a lot of data on usage, it makes the conversation much easier. And it makes it easier for you as a product manager to focus on stuff that really has an impact on your users. Now, what about this kind of remote working that COVID has accelerated and at some degree your business is also trying to solve some of the problems that people may face now more than before because now everyone is going remote. What is the impact that you see on that regard that you see the COVID has started to accelerate? I see a huge impact. I tend to think, Armand, that we are on a verge of a transformation that is going to be bigger than the cloud transformation that Amazon has introduced 10 years ago. Amazon AWS changed lives for a lot of IT professionals. 
I think this transformation is changing lives for everyone, regardless of whether they are in tech or not. Everybody is now experiencing remote work or hybrid work. And, you know, initially two and a half years ago, when COVID hit, people thought that this was a short-term thing. And in 12, 18 months, we were going to go back to, to normal and to back to the office and everything was going to be uh, the same again as it was before COVID. Companies are now realizing that this is not the case and this is going to be long-term or even permanent. And companies are now trying to adjust their long-term strategies to remote work. And this applies to HR, it applies to finance, and it applies to IT. We, as Venn, we are focusing on your personal computing device aspect of this, which is huge. I mean, IT teams are now, they need to come up with long-term strategies for how are they going to support a remote workforce long-term, efficiently, cost-effectively, with good user experience. And this is something new. This is going to be a huge wave that's going to sweep all across industries. And I think it's going to impact security products. It's going to impact IT products. Many of the products that we're using are assuming that everybody's in the office. There is an IT team that sits in the office. You can give your computer to them and they can fix issues easily there. When everything becomes remote and IT teams need to support users remotely, employees remotely, onboarding has become an issue. Every company that I talk to, onboarding new employees now takes weeks instead of hours. These are the kinds of things that are impacting everyone's lives. People are moving away from metro areas. I just read a, an article in the Washington Post. People in the U.S. are moving from large metro areas to more suburban and rural areas. This is going to impact everything. And I think this is a wave that's going to sweep across industries and across IT in general and generate a lot of new products and approaches. I think ours is one of the first, but you're going to see more. This is the next transformation in the industry. And also it accelerates moving to digital, right? So if you want to remote, you have to make things more digital because the more digital it is the more you can do it remotely otherwise there is no way you can even consider doing it i talked yesterday to someone who's a social worker she used to go to the office five days a week now she goes to the office two days a week three days a week she's working from home a social worker so she's using her computer to support people remotely this has never been done before covid i have a friend who's a, a pediatrician she's now accepting patients remotely from her home on a computer, our lives are changing and IT industry needs to keep up to be able to support all of this. So we have Zoom and Slack, but we need a lot of infrastructure to make this efficient and you know scalable across all industries. And this is where we at Venn are trying to think ahead and see how we can enable this transformation going forward. I couldn't even imagine 10, 15 years ago, the bandwidth that we have now is almost unlimited, right? So it's like, Everybody is using all of these tools and video conferencing and everything seems to work fine. Even overnight, almost everyone had to stay home and work when COVID happened. But nobody knew if really that's going to work. All of these 50 people now go to the conference rooms and in the company, the offices now, they have to really open Zoom or any other tool and just do the video conferencing. It worked like a magic. 
definitely I couldn't really believe that 10, 15 years ago, we can really offer such unlimited bandwidth to everyone, everywhere. I mean, that's amazing. But definitely that has been very helpful for everyone to go digital and remote. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we're just starting to see that. And I think the most unbelievable thing is how industries that are outside of tech have gone through this transformation and people are getting used to working remotely and using video conferencing and using, you know, chatting. It also bubbles up some issues. The, the thing I was talking about is an example, you know, the life and work blurring kind of mixing up together. And how do you create this separation? We're focusing on your device, but also think about it from an HR perspective. A person now, life becomes like contact switching between work and life. It can be five minutes working, then one minute doing something outside of work, then five minutes working again. It's no longer these eight hours at work and then, you know, five hours at home. It's kind of mixing up and it's going to have an impact on our work culture, but also on our lives. A lot of things are just now kind of bubbling up and solutions will come to address these issues. And I think we're just starting to see how this is going to look like going forward. Commute is going to be completely different, right? And, you know, people used to get in their car, go to work. Now they do it from home. Some days they might still go to the office. I mean, how does that change? There's a lot of different aspects that are going to change and are going to develop over the next few years. And I think Metaverse, for example, or Web3 at some degree can accelerate that process because sometimes, you know, some of us may use these tools, but they still feel like if we had the chance to do it in person, it would have been better. But there would be a day that actually you see if you do it virtually, it's way more powerful and more impactful and it's not just I don't have the option now to go to office. Even if I had the option, I have the tools now that I wouldn't have if I go to the office and do it there. So, so those are also something that I see, you know, we are just getting there. It takes time. It's not going to be tomorrow. It may take another 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But definitely the direction is, you know, toward that. Yeah, and, and I, I completely agree. You know, things that we're used to doing, like going to conferences, they can be replaced by, by remote options. And I think people want the mix because, you know, you want to go to your customers sometimes and spend some time with them in person, but sometimes you want to support them remotely and you want to feel that supporting them remotely is, is at least as good as supporting them in person. So tools will evolve and, and get developed. And, and I think we're just at the start of something really, really big. And I agree the metaverse is going to play part in this and... Security always plays part in, you know, anything that we do online. So I think there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff coming up in the future. I also wonder if there is any publication, any book, any blog that you have found useful that you would like to share with the audience. And of course, it can be about the topics we just discussed that you are passionate about, you follow. And also it can be about maybe some other topics that overall it has had a positive impact, may not be necessarily about product management or about the discussions we had or remote working, but that is still useful. There's quite a few books that I read that made an impact, but I'm kind of an old school guy in terms of the book that I think made the most impact was back 
when I was doing my MBA many years ago, I read Crossing the Chasm. You know, I keep going back to some concepts from this book every time I introduce a new product to the market and I try to think about these early adopters and, you know, the innovators and the chasm. It's real. I mean, it's real. And I'm, we're facing it right now, you know, with our product at Venn. It's like there are the innovators that are reaching out to us and already thinking about their future remote work, long-term strategies and which tools they need to support that. But there are the kind of the laggers who realize that they have a problem, but it's going to take them more time to kind of start thinking about the strategy and the approaches. This is a book that I would recommend for every product manager. And to be honest, everyone who runs a business of any sort. Thank you very much, David. That was a great discussion. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Armand. This was really interesting for me too. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.